Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Grace. Thanks for being here. We're in the middle of a series right now that we call Struggling with God. And uh, in this series, we're talking about some of the, the stress points of our interaction with God and trying to understand kind of his mind and will and how that plays out in our lives and how that uh, affects kind of humanity on a broad scope and then our lives on a very personal level and uh, just trying to get a hold of the heart and the mind of God. We have said that struggling with God is very normal. In fact, it's natural. The Bible says that that's going to happen. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says, God is speaking and he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so God himself says, guys, listen, I'm God, you're not, and that's going to cause us to view things differently, right? So I'm going to have a perspective on the world and on history and even on your life that you're not going to hold. And uh, it's going to be normal that you're going to at times struggle to understand uh, where I'm coming from or what I'm trying to accomplish. And uh, uh, that's going to be part of the nature of our relationship. We said the solution to that or the answer to that struggle is faith. And that's what the Bible teaches us. That in order to interact with God, we must interact with God by faith. God is not a math problem. So there, there is no silver bullet answer that makes all of our questions go away. Uh, choosing to trust God is what faith is. It's choosing to trust in what I cannot and will never fully understand. And uh, the Bible says that this is the nature of a relationship with God. In fact, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we talked about when we opened the series up that there's a difference between faith and doubt. Faith is looking and saying, God, I don't always understand you. I'm not sure why you have me here, but I choose to trust you. Doubt is the same answer, but different. It's, God, I don't understand why you have me here. I'm not sure what you're doing, but I choose to trust myself, right? And so the Bible says that when I trust God, that's what pleases God, and it's what bridges that gap between God's control and his perfect insight and my lack of understanding of what he's doing. Now, we've been saying here for the last couple of weeks that having faith in God is kind of step one. It's an indispensable element that you will not get the silver bullet. It's always going to come down to this question of faith. And we said part of that faith is choosing to believe the Bible is the word of God. And that if we don't believe the Bible, we've kind of shut down the conversation because we're going to answer things about the nature of God from the Word of God. And so believing that the Bible is the words of God, believing that the Bible is a spiritual book, not just a historical one, uh, believing that the Bible is the source of all truth, that truth starts from the Bible up, those become foundational things. And there's lots of reasons why we can gain confidence in believing the Bible. And I showed you some scientific evidence, things like that, that, and that only God would know, yet it's written in the Bible. Many of you asked me for those notes, and I sent them to you. If you still want them, shoot me an email, and I'll, I'll send you those research notes. You can look at them. And then last weekend, Pastor Ryan, I watched you through kind of how, the, how God works with the Bible, that God does a supernatural thing, a spiritual thing through his Holy Spirit and his word. 
and then we interact with that kind of our own will. So God kind of does this big work and we respond to it. And when those two worlds collide, the Bible becomes alive and it becomes active in our lives. And that's, that's how the Bible works in our everyday life, right? So if you haven't been able to be here, if you've been on vacation, many of you have nice tans, so I'm assuming you have been, since the sun doesn't actually shine in Akron, uh, encourage you to go out to our website, uh, graceohio.org, you hit the media tab, and those conversations are there, and you can watch them or listen to them or get a podcast through iTunes for free if you want. If I'm teaching, I would encourage you to watch it. Uh, looking at me makes the, the experience much more pleasurable. Uh, if, you're, if Ryan's teaching, I, I would just listen, honestly. I, I would. I would just listen. But to go back and grab that stuff, and it'll kind of catch up to speed and fill in all those blanks. So we want to take the series now. We kind of we really needed to lay down that base about faith and the Bible. And now what we want to start doing here is hitting on these touch points, right? These stress points. And uh, what we did was we talked to um, some folks uh, that were about 24 years old, and we said, hey, what's the stress points in the culture, in your mind, in your heart, on the college campus kind of a thing? You know, what, what, where does it get difficult? And they uh, gave us great feedback on that. We took that feedback, kind of generalized it for the purposes of having a conversation here on the weekend, and uh, that's what we want to lean into a little bit and start uh, looking at those questions, bringing answers to them, knowing that faith is an indispensable component in that process, okay? So we're going to start with this. This weekend, we want to address um, one of the biggest struggles that people identify that they have with God and with Jesus in particular. And one of the biggest stress points that's kind of in our culture today is this idea. It's Jesus's claim of exclusivity, when Jesus says, I am the only way to heaven, that claim of exclusivity is, is a, a very bold claim. It's a very difficult claim for our culture to process. We don't tend to think in those terms. And what does that mean? Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that narrow? Isn't that exclusive? And it makes me kind of not like Jesus, and I really don't like Christians that much. So what do I do with that claim. So let's, let's dig at it. We'll talk about it here, okay? So Jesus makes this claim. It's one of his most controversial teachings. It's one of the places where he really separates himself out. And uh, you'll find it in the book of John. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. Uh, and it's page 752 in those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible or you need a newer one, uh, just take one of those with you. We'd love for you to have it. Smartphone, iPad people, we use the YouVersion app. YouVersion app, hit live, and that's our zip code there on the screen. And uh, we're Grace Church. John chapter 14, verse 6 and following. This is where Jesus says this. He says this, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, after, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father's in me? 
The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is looking at his disciples and, and talking to them, and he makes this claim. He's saying, uh, Philip, I'm the way, the truth, the life. The Father and I are one. I'm God. You take that claim, extrapolate it out through the other parts of Scripture, and you run into verses like, uh, Jesus is the only source of salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. Jesus makes this very strong, very clear claim that there is one path to heaven and I am that path. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one, two big words there, no one can come to the Father unless they come through me. Now that claim is a bold claim and it is also the core of all true Christian teaching. So any, any church that's attempting to teach the Bible is going to teach that, that uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the only path to heaven. That claim is also the heartbeat behind all Christian missions, all Christian evangelistic efforts, right? So Christianity, by its very nature, is a proselytizing faith. So Christians want other people to stop believing what they believe and want them to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life because of that claim. So we would look at that and say, well, Jesus says that he's the only path to heaven. So if you believe that there is any other path to heaven and if you've embraced that belief system, we, we fear for your soul. So we want you to stop believing that I'm saying this kind of in a cold way, but it's true, which is stop believing that and start believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so Christians proselytize. We evangelize. We do missions because we want other people to know this truth because they, we want them to know God and we want them ultimately to join him in heaven. So that claims a big deal. It's a big, big deal. And it's, it's central to all that is Christian theology and thought and all Christian belief system and worldview, it's also one of the main reasons that people will give for dismissing Jesus and dismissing Christianity. Uh, our culture today and people around the world will look and say, well, that, that's kind of snotty, isn't it? You're saying that there's one path to heaven that really cuts against the grain of let's coexist and uh, we all kind of worship, we're all on the same team, right? We kind of worship the same God and those kind of things. And a Christian would say, no, no. There's one way to heaven. Jesus said it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And that's what we believe and hold to. And we actually want you to believe it as well. So the question that came back from our little focus group was, well, isn't that arrogant? Isn't that arrogant and narrow to claim that Jesus is the only path to God. Fair question and pretty common in our culture. So there's lots of scholars that would agree with that. Uh, Rabbi Botech says this. He says, I'm absolutely against any religion that says that one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that's anything different than spiritual racism. It's a way of saying that you are closer to God than you are, and that's what leads to hatred. Charles Templeton said, 
this claim is an insufferable assumption. Christians all are a small minority in the world. Approximately four out of every five people on the face of the planet believe in gods other than the Christian God, worshiping more than 300 gods. If you include amethyst and tribal religions, the number rises to more than 3,000. Or we believe that only Christians are right. Okay? So today, the claim that Jesus is the only path to heaven is to be a hater, it's to be closed-minded, it's to be mean-spirited, ignorant, backwards, foolish, right? That today, it's a very, very offensive thing um, to say to people. Now, let me just caveat here for a minute. Most of us here are North Americans. So for us, claiming that Jesus is the only path to heaven, that claim being offensive in our culture is a new thing. It's a very new thing. Some of you who are older, and I don't mean my age, I mean like old, right? So some of you who are older, you know what I'm saying? So that, <laughs> Jeff, you didn't have to raise your hand, but that, right? And even my, my generation, right? It, it's a very new thing in our culture to, for our faith in Jesus to be offensive. It's, it's kind of a new thing. And I would say to you, get, get used to it and get over it, Okay? Uh, it is not a new thing for Jesus to be offensive. Uh, it was offensive when Jesus made the claim. It was offensive when the first disciples followed it. It was offensive when the early church did it. It's offensive in most of the world. We have lived in this very weird bubble in our culture that is gone now. The bubble's popped. It's not coming back. And so this claim is central to things. And it's, it's a claim that's going to offend people. And Jesus even warns in the scripture, he says, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised by that. People are going to hate you because of me. Well, what do they mean by that? If people hate you because of you, then you're just a jerk. But if people hate you because of Jesus, it's because of this claim. To say that there is one path to heaven and uh, his name is Jesus Christ. Now, why is that offensive? Well, let's think of it logically for a minute. If we say that there is only one way to heaven, then what we're saying is that everybody else is wrong, right? That doesn't float well today. But logically, that's how it works. If this is right, then everything else is wrong. If there's one way to heaven, then every other path is not the way to heaven. And yet, this is what Jesus says. And so the, the question is, well, isn't that arrogant? Isn't that narrow? Isn't that exclusive? And that perception that that claim is arrogant and narrow and exclusive has become a, a huge tool, and actually has always been a huge tool, to dismiss Jesus and to dismiss Christianity, okay? So I'll, let's engage this, okay? Let's struggle with it. Is it offensive? Is it arrogant? Is it exclusive, okay? Let's have the conversation, but let's start by having a fair conversation, Right? Any belief system, by its nature, excludes other belief systems, okay? So any belief system, by its nature, excludes other belief systems. So for instance, uh, Islam teaches that the Quran is the only source of truth and should be only printed and taught in Arabic. Isn't that narrow and exclusive? Well, of course it is. It's a belief system. And so by its nature, it's going to exclude other belief systems. 
Uh, Hinduism teaches the dogma of reincarnation and karma. And Hinduism would teach that it's only through reincarnation and only through karma that you achieve nirvana, in essence, that you get to go to heaven. Isn't that narrow and exclusive? Well, of course it is. It's a belief system. Uh, Buddhism is actually a rejection of Hinduism. So Buddha rejected the Hindu scriptures and the Hindu's uh, practice of the caste system. So by its nature, because Buddhism has a belief system, it excluded other belief systems, right? Sikhism is a rejection of Buddhism and Hinduism. See, we thought it was only the evangelicals that couldn't get along, right? Nobody can, right? So we're just like everybody else. So it, it's just a, it's that belief. So it, by its nature, it's exclusive, okay? Uh, Judaism rejects the Bible and Jesus is the Messiah. So they would say they're right and we're wrong. Mormonism would teach you that you have to be baptized as a Mormon to go to heaven. In fact, anyone who's kind of a good Mormon is often baptized hundreds of times because they believe that they can be baptized for the dead and get your soul out of its holding place and get you to heaven that way, okay? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that only 144,000 people will enter heaven. It's a very competitive faith, right? You kind of get, get in there. And so th they would be very work-based. Well, they would, their central belief would exclude everybody else. Atheists believe that anybody who believes in God is wrong. So by believing that if you believe in God, you're wrong, you're saying that you're right, which is exclusive. So let, let's just have a fair conversation. Anybody who believes anything, their belief system is narrow and exclusive. There's nothing unique about Christianity that way. We believe something. We believe that Jesus is God and that the scriptures, the Bible is the words of God and the truth of the Bible is the truth that should govern our life. We're like every other belief system. So is believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven since he said it in the Bible, is that arrogant? Well, no. That's a belief. There's nothing particularly offensive about having that belief. You would have to look at everyone who believed anything about anything and make the same claim against them. And that's important. Because if I perceive you to be arrogant, I'm going to throw up defenses, I'm going to discount you pretty quickly. And that's kind of the, the big argument. Like Christianity should be thrown out because you guys are arrogant, you think you got the corner on the market. Well, everybody who believes something thinks that. So we're all kind of the same that way. Let's move the argument from, am I a jerk or are you a jerk? And let's start to bring the argument down to its merits, okay? So the question shifts. The question is, is believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven arrogant? That's not the question anymore because it's a belief, so it's going to be exclusive. The question is, is Jesus being the only way to heaven true or not? If it's true, then it's a very different conversation. Is it arrogant? Not particularly. Is it narrow? Yes. Is it exclusive? Yeah, all belief systems are. Is it true? So let's, let's engage that conversation on that level. Is it true that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Now let's just think about truth here for a minute. 
I'm going to walk you through some logic. I'm going to show you some evidences, and then we're going to dig into a passage. I'm going to show you Jesus' heart. Ready? So let's, let's play some logic here. What makes something true? Let me ask you a question. Does 2 plus 2 equal 4? It's not a trick question. And if you don't know the answer, we should probably meet. Okay, but is 2 plus 2 equal 4? Why? Why does 2 plus 2 equal 4? Because it is what? Starts with the T, ends with Rue. Because it's true. Because it does. 2 plus 2 equals 4 because it equals 4. Okay? So there's a truth there. 2 plus 2 equaling 4 means that it doesn't equal 5 and it doesn't equal 3. It's an exclusive truth. Is there an exclusive answer that's narrow? Absolutely. Why? Because it's a truth. There is a answer. 2 plus 2 equals 4. Okay? Now, if 2 plus 2 equals 4, it can't equal 5, it can't equal 3, because there's a truth, it's either totally true or totally false. So 2 plus 2 does not equal 3.8, correct? That's a false answer. Many times when you look at faith, you'll see other faiths that are, have Jesus woven into them, and we can look and say, well, we basically believe the same thing. No, we don't. If we don't believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we don't believe the same thing because 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 3.8. And if something is true, it's true. And if I'm going to put my life on the line, if I'm going to bet my mortal soul, my eternal soul on a truth, it has to be totally true, right? So if you're going to risk your life, if I'm going to jump out of an airplane with a parachute on, I don't want that parachute to work 98% of the way, right? Yeah. When he slammed onto the ground, his parachute was almost open, right? No, no, no. It either works or it doesn't. It's either true or it's not. Two plus two is four. It's not five. It's going to rule that out. It's not three. It's going to rule that out. And it's also going to rule out 3.8 because it's either true or it's false. Now, if I, by faith, choose to believe that Jesus is God. And I, by faith, choose to believe that the Bible is the words of God. That truth emanates from the Bible up. And in the Bible, Jesus God speaks his words in the Bible, and Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to find unless they come through me. The question is not whether that claim is arrogant. The question is not whether that claim is exclusive or narrow. The question is, is it true? And if Jesus narrowed the argument and said, no, there's one way to heaven, I'm that way. It's not five, it's not three, it's four. Then I have to interact with that question on a basis of truth. See, Is Jesus making a claim that is accurate, that is true? And do I accept that and embrace that by faith. Now, there's a ton of things that will help us have confidence in Jesus' claim being true. And we've talked about this some, and we're going to talk about it more throughout this series, and I'm not going to spend, we could spend the rest of the weekend and the next year just giving you evidences that Jesus is who he says he is, right? 
So it's all over the place. So Jesus, the evidence that Jesus lived, that Jesus died and that, rose, that he rose again is irrefutable. It absolutely happened. There are over 500 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus live, saw Jesus die, and interacted with him after he rose again from the dead. That passes every historical test, every ancient history test. Uh, he, he even passes archaeological tests and every legal test. If I walk into court with 500 eyewitnesses and they testify all to the same thing, I'm going to win that court battle every time. Did Jesus live, die, and raise again? Yes, he did. It's irrefutable. There's prophecies in Scripture. There's only 300 prophecies in Scripture that prophesied about Jesus being the Messiah, sometimes hundreds of years, sometimes thousands of years before he ever showed up. And when Jesus showed up, he met those prophecies, met them in detail, and met every one of them. Jesus is God, the promised Messiah who was promised throughout all of time. There's extra biblical documentation. If you go back and read any credible historian, the leading historians that were contemporaries of Jesus, that all of academia would trust, documented Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and many of them documented that Jesus resurrected again from the dead. There's people who knew Jesus personally, people were, who were his friends, who died because they would not recant their claim that he rose again from the dead. So they w lived with him, they watched him die, they said, I interacted with him after he rose again from the dead, you take that back or we're going to burn you alive, light the fire. One of those people was Jesus' own brother, James, right? Can you imagine growing up with Jesus? <laughs> I'm going to tell mom, well, I'm God, <laughs> you know? And uh, I'm sinless, so I think mom's going to believe me, right? <laughs> so Jesus, James, is a huge witness to this whole thing. Literally grew up with Jesus, watched him live, watched him die, interacted with him after the resurrection, and died. He was martyred because he would not recant the truth that his brother rose again from the dead. And we could do this all day, every day. In fact, I put in your notes, if you look at the bottom of your note, the, the blank piece where you can just write notes, I put in four books that you guys can go get. You can grab them on Amazon or wherever. Encourage you to read it. First author is a guy named Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist and an investigative journalist for the Chicago Sun-Times. Lee Strobel went to prove that Christianity was a farce and wind up being a follower of Jesus because the evidence overwhelmed him. So he wrote many books, but two of the ones that would just focus on this is A Case for Faith and A Case for Christ. Another author is Josh and Sean McDowell, and they've written a, a new book called 77 FAQs about God and the Bible. It has a lot of this extra biblical evidence in it. You can look at that. And then if you really are a, a nerd like I am, you can get a, a book called The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it's, it's basically a textbook. It'll just blow your mind out, right, with all the information with it. Now, let's just talk about this for a second. If you fancy yourself to be an intellectual and a scholar, like I do, right, it's us nerds who can't quit going to school. If that's the way that you think, then let's just have a, an academic conversation for a minute, okay? If you think of yourself as an intellectual and an academic, Let's talk about the rules of academia. In academics, if I only study one half of an equation and I don't study the rest of it and I form a conclusion on one half of this equation, 
I lack academic integrity. Right? You know that if you've gone to school enough. It's academically lazy, and I lack integrity to say that I've mastered something. Now, this is the deal, guys. If I grew up in Sunday school, grandma drugged me, and I learned about David and Goliath and Moses who put a bunch of animals in a boat and just check and see if you're listening. And, you know, if I learned that, and I went to college, and some prof told me this and that, and this kind of this and that, and then I formed this conclusion on one or two people's opinions, and I have never done the work of studying out the rest of the equation, then listen, you lack academic integrity. So I dare you, I double dog dare you, Okay? Study out the rest of the question. Because when you study out the rest of the question, what you're going to find is there's a whole nother school of thought. And in order to have academic integrity, you have to study the whole question, both sides of the argument, and then form a personal conclusion. That's the point of that study, right? So if you've never done it, I dare you to do it. And these books, three of these four books are light reading. If you're, if you're a nerd like me, you'll buzz through them in about a, a, an evening or two, okay? But the what the appetite, and then we can get as deep and as nerdy as you want. We'll have a nerd fest. We'll have a meeting, right? Because none of us ever made the football team, so we learn to read stuff, right? Study that out. And I, I have done that, and I have literally staked my eternal soul on the truth that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, Okay? I will bet on the Bible all day, every day, put it on red and let it ride, okay? And I don't do that with a blind faith. I've gone, I've gone to school, I'm, I'm still trying to get through my doctorate program, right? That's something that I enjoy. It's an academic pursuit that there are academic answers to if you're wired that way. So is the claim arrogant? No, it's a belief system. Every belief system is that way. Is it narrow and exclusive? Well, of course it is, because we believe something, and we're saying that this is right. Wrong question. Is it true? And I would say, yeah, study it out. Dare you. Dare you to study it out. Don't be a chicken. Dare you to study it out. And the more you study, the more you're going to find out that it's true, that the evidence is there. From the Bible all the way through the extra-biblical all the way to the biographical accounts of it. Archaeology, the whole nine yards, it's right there, right? Jesus did live, Jesus did die, Jesus did raise again, and it's a, it's a fact that these things happen. Now, I don't believe that's where we should stop. Because the question is, it seems like it's arrogant. And I believe to answer that question, what you actually have to do is dig into a person's motives. Why did Jesus say, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life? And when you look at the why, you start to understand Jesus' heart, which starts to help us accept his statements as true. So let's look at this a little bit. <clears throat> what was Jesus' motives in making this claim? Go back to John 14. Look at verse 6. Jesus is talking to Thomas and the Philip. He's talking to his disciples. And he makes that claim, right? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What was the context within which Jesus made that claim? Jesus made that claim to his disciples because he was preparing them to interpret his death 
correctly. He was preparing them to interpret his death correctly. So when Jesus looked at his disciples, he, he looked at them, and he, and he wasn't saying, hey, uh, hey, guys, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Uh, give me all your money. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Uh, so let's go overthrow the Romans. I'm God, so you should lay your life down for me because this is going to get ugly. In fact, the person, Peter, who was willing to do that, took out a sword and tried to kill a guy. Jesus rebuked him, said, I'm not about that. He didn't say, I'm God, and I want you guys to be the foundation of a worldwide faith that's going to build beautiful cathedrals and have amazing artwork. Jesus never asked for cathedrals and artwork. Why did he make that claim? I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except to me. He was preparing his disciples to interpret his death correctly. His disciples, <clears throat> who believed that he was God, had seen him do miraculous things. I've, I've seen you heal people. I've seen you raise people from the dead. I've seen you feed thousands of people, or I'm going to see that. I, I've seen all these things, and I'm gonna, you're going to suffer and you're going to die, and we know full well that you could stop it if you wanted to. Why are you letting that happen? Why are you leaving us? Why are you doing this? Because we're ready to give you everything, and we're ready to overthrow the Romans, and we're ready to set you up as king. Why, why are you going to let this play out this way? And Jesus answers them, because I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He lays this foundation a little bit more in John chapter 3. Flip back to the left in your Bible. It's about 10 or 12 pages. In John chapter tw- 3, Jesus is talking to this religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus would have had the ancient equivalent of a PhD. And as he's interacting with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is asking him, like, you, you keep talking about being reborn and this and that, what's, what's the deal? And Jesus is explaining that to him, what it means to be born again and, and kind of helping him to get a grasp on who he is. He says this in John chapter 3, verse 14. He says to Nicodemus, he says, just as Moses, was, uh, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus is interacting with Nicodemus. He's saying, Nicodemus, listen, unless I am lifted up, unless I am crucified, and raised up so that people can see their path to salvation. That's what he's referring to with Moses in the wilderness. Unless they can see salvation. Unless I am lifted up, uh, I have to have it so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. I have to be crucified so that people know that they can have eternal life through me. Nicodemus, the reason that I'm here is because God loved the world so much that he gave me so that when I lay my life down, if you believe in me, you don't have to perish. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I didn't come here to send people to hell. 
they're already going to hell. So I didn't come here to condemn the world. I came here to save the world. I came here to stop that. I came here to provide a way of salvation. The world is already condemned. I came to save the world. So whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Nicodemus, I have to die. I have to be raised up so that people understand that I'm the path of salvation because I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. If I don't die and raise again, then nobody knows that. They don't know how to find eternal life. So I have to go through this process. I'm not not here to send a bunch of people to hell. You're going to hell. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. I'm here to intervene in that process. I'm here because I love, because I want to give my life. Fast forward to chapter 14, he looks at his disciples who look and say, well, Jesus, aren't we going to get rich and get famous and get powerful and make the world go the way we want it to go? And Jesus says, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody can go to the Father unless they come through me. I have to go suffer and die. That's why I showed up. I didn't come to rule Palestine. I came to provide salvation for every human being. What was his motive? What was the upside of Jesus making this claim? For him personally, what was the upside of him stepping out of heaven and coming to earth? What was the upside of him suffering through the human experience? What was the upside of his passion? What was the upside of his death? What did he gain from it? He gained the cross. When Jesus makes this proclamation and goes through this process, all he received from that personally was his death and his suffering so that he could raise again, so that he could provide salvation for you and me. Now, when Mohammed made his claim to be the source of truth, he gained an army in which he could go conquer nations in the Middle East. When Joseph Smith made his claim that he talked to God, it was his way of helping his followers protect him from his debtors that were trying to throw him in prison and protect him from the government that was trying to arrest him for being a polygamist. When Buddha made his claim, he got the validation of being right because those Hindus are crazy. When an atheist locks into their belief system, they they get the freedom of all moral code lifted off of them. There is no God, so I can do whatever I want. When Jesus made his claim to his followers, he got to suffer and die. Is it arrogant? No. Where's the arrogance? Where's the win? Is it narrow? Sure. Is it exclusive? Yeah, all belief systems are. Is it true? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Right, study it. Why was it made? Well, Christians are jerks. You're right. <laughs> People, they, they're arrogant. They, they taunt, flaunt that. You're going to hell and we're going to heaven. And, right. I, I know, I, don't, I can't defend them. Well, people have used that to control and manipulate people. I, they have, Absolutely. 
See, they're jerks. You're right, there's jerks. There's jerks everywhere. There's jerks. Every, every belief system has jerks in it. Grace Church has jerks in it. We've sprayed for jerks. They keep coming back. You can't get rid of a jerks. Right? It's true. It's, it's absolutely true. There's no argument. Was Jesus selfish? Did Jesus benefit? Was Jesus self-serving with this claim? You can't find it. You can't find it. Is it arrogant? No, because it's true. Jesus isn't flaunting and taunting. Jesus is appealing, and he's saying, guys, you're condemned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard. Everyone is on their way to hell. And look over here. I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the light. Come over here. There's a way out over here, but it's only me. Why did he make that claim? Because it's true. He's motivated by love. He gets nothing else out of it, right? And he laid down his life and he spoke the truth so that you and I could identify the way and choose by faith to believe it. That's it. I asked the band to come out. And uh, as they come out, let me ask you a few questions. First of all, let, let me just talk to all of us nerds here for a little bit. Guys, if you have never studied this out, would you do that? Okay? Have a fair argument and have integrity with it. Because if you've never done the work, then you're not equipped to make the conclusion. And that's the way acad academics work, right? That's the way it works. And so would you do that? I dare you, I double dog dare you to actually embrace it because it's not whether it's arrogant, it's not, it's whether it's true. And if you struggle to believe whether it's true, that's fine, that's natural, that's normal, there's nothing necessarily inherently evil about that. But at least do the homework if your soul's at stake. So would you study it out? Second question. Some of you might be here this morning. Let me, let me just like explain for a minute how God works sometimes. This is what happens sometimes. Sometimes you, you sit through a conversation like this. Raised in church, went to Sunday school, grandma drug you there on the holidays, and you showed up because you liked this girl and she insisted you go to church this morning, right? Got it, me too, okay? This is what happens. I heard a story a thousand times. And sometimes when you hear, you hear things a thousand times, Jesus is God, he's the only way, this and that, sometimes you hear it in a different way, at a different place, and it clicks. It's the weirdest thing. It clicks. That is actually a spiritual thing that's happening. Sometimes God clicks. And if you might be here this weekend, you may be like, <coughs> I never thought about that way or never heard it that way or I don't even know why it clicks, but it clicks. 
And today, I, it clicks. I, I want to believe this for some reason. I, I, I feel like it's tr- like for some reason, God like settled this question in my heart today. It clicked. It's the nature of relationships, right? I went through high school, the first part of college. I dated all kinds of girls. And then I met Heidi. And I was like, I got to keep that one forever. It clicked. It took me two years to talk her into it, but it worked. You know, so... But, but sometimes that's the way relationships work. They do, it just clicks, and it, it feels different, and it, it's hard to explain, and it's spiritual in nature. The Bible says that God draws us to himself, and you may be here today, and you're drawn today in a way that you've never been drawn before, and it clicked. And I would encourage you today to respond to God with that. You know? No magic words, no secret prayer, but from your heart to God's heart, Jesus, I believe that you're God. I actually believe it. I believe that what you say in the Bible is true. I accept it. Would you forgive me for my sin? I want to follow you. Use your own words, don't use mine. But if it clicks, let it click and embrace it, and faith works that way sometimes, okay? Last thing. If you're a Christian here this morning, guys, listen. You don't need to apologize for this claim. Don't apologize for Jesus. Don't apologize for Jesus. Don't hang your head low. Don't avoid eye contact with your friends. Just because the culture is turned, that's no big deal. Culture is, has been right a ton. In fact, they're more wrong than they are right. There's nothing unusual about that. Culture, the cultural norm used to be that women couldn't vote because they're inferior. Culture used to be that if you were a minority, you were intellectually inferior to anybody else. Culture's wrong all the time. It's no big deal. Don't apologize for what's true. Now listen, don't be a jerk. I have friends that are of different faiths. I, I have friends that are different political persuasions, friends that have different moral standards than I do, friends that have different sexual orientations than I have. We're friends. I love them. I love them. And I don't apologize for my belief system. And by the way, they don't apologize for theirs. And we're not jerks to each other. They know full well that I want them to believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They know that. We love each other and we enjoy each other. You don't have to apologize. Don't. Put it on red and let it ride. And Jesus and the word of God will prove itself true all the time. I don't have to be a jerk. I don't have to prove it. God will take care, God defends himself. But don't hang your head low because things have shifted. It's no big deal. Welcome to the club. It's it's the way it normally is in history and across the world, okay? Do your homework. Dare you. Respond in faith. Take confidence in God's word. As we worship, sing, would you think? Would you pray? Would you struggle with God?